I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great to be with Brian and Angie. As uh, Brian mentioned, he went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. That's where I teach in 2002. And that was the same year that my wife Liz and I moved across the country from Oregon to Massachusetts so that I could teach at Gordon-Conwell. So we kind of grew up together at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I had Brian in class and we became good friends and they came over often on Saturdays for waffles. That was a thing we did. <laughs> and we played disc golf together. Brian discipled me in the ways of disc golf. <laughs> and I've never been the same. <laughs> Well, for many years, the motto of the city of Glasgow, Scotland, was let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of the word of God and the worship of his people. How's that for a city motto? <laughs> it's actually inscribed around the great bell in the Troon Church there in Glasgow. But over time, the motto was uh, shortened and... Uh, and today, the official motto of Glasgow, you'll see it everywhere if you go there. It's on public buildings and in the parks. It's on trash cans in the park. And the official motto today is, let Glasgow flourish. It's a positive statement. It's a hopeful statement, but it's thin. It's just a, a wish. But my prayer for Hope Community Church is that you would always flourish by the preaching of the word of God and the worship of his people. Somebody say amen. amen. And I preach at a lot of different churches, and so I kind of get a sense, you know, just uh, sitting here in the front row, you kind of get a sense of things. This is a good church. This is a vibrant church. There's a good vibe here. It's a Holy Spirit vibe. <laughs> and may you always flourish, not just slog along and not just get by and not simply maintain. There's something to be said for that, but may you flourish by the preaching of the word of God and, of course, the obedience to the word of God and the worship of his people. Shall we pray together? Our gracious Heavenly Father, by the authority of your word, by the presence of your spirit, please uh, open our hearts to receive this word. Give us ears to hear. Prepare the soil of our hearts to be receptive to the seed of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the church is finishing a series on discipleship called Follow Me. Today's actually the last week, correct, Brian? And next week, as you heard, starts a new series. It's somewhat related, something similar on missional living, uh, being on mission with Christ. And so I have a text today that I thought might bridge that gap. It's about following Christ. It talks about what it looks like to follow him, to be on mission. And we have it there in Mark chapter 8 all the way through 9.13. I'm going to put the verses up here, but you may want to turn there in your own Bible. But we'll have the verses up uh, in front of you. And we begin there with verse uh, 27 in chapter 8. And I have the remote control, which I just remembered. <laughs> 
And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone, to tell no one about him. Interesting. Who do people say that I am? In uh, 2015, the uh, researcher George Barna basically asked that question, who do you think Jesus is? 2015, and he discovered that 90 plus percent of Americans think that Jesus was a real person. Okay, that's good. 60% said that he was God. Surprised me. Interestingly, only 50-ish percent said that he was sinless. Who do people say that I am? In 1992, Michael Hart wrote a book called The 100, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. And he had his own set of criteria for how one would decide such a thing. But according to Michael Hart, the most influential person in history, uh, Mohammed. Number two, Isaac Newton maybe because the modern era started with Newton. Number three, Jesus. <laughs> Who do men say that I am? Was he a wise teacher like Buddha? Did he bring enlightenment? Was he a demigod, a half-god, a quasi-god, like Joseph Smith said, the greatest of all created be beings, very close to God, not quite God? Liz and I were leading an alpha course one time, a small group evangelism, and one of our guests, one of our ladies said, well, I think he was, she was serious, I think he was a spaceman, I think he was from outer space. He kind of invaded, you know, the earth. Well, you know. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> There's some theology there. <laughs> Who do men say that I am? In Jesus' day, they said, uh, John the Baptist, risen from the dead. You just really remind us a lot. I think you are John. Others said, or go back further, Elijah, because John the Baptist was kind of like Elijah. Well, or another of the prophets. All right, all right, all right. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ. Son of the living God. Now that's a good answer. But why is it followed up with, don't tell anybody. I think, and we're going to see this here in just a minute, I think because it's a good answer. It doesn't go far enough, though, because Peter's understanding at this point in the book of Mark is the Christ, you know, the Messiah, the anointed one. It's more of a political figure. He's going to rescue the nation, it's not a bad answer, but it doesn't go far enough. The, uh, up to this point in Mark, the disciples have referred to him only as teacher. Even though they've heard uh, demons uh, refer to him as the Holy One and the Son of God, 
They have heard a Gentile woman, a Gentile woman say, Lord. But Peter doesn't understand this Christ. Doesn't understand his mission. Doesn't understand what it means to follow him. Because this Christ is a suffering Christ. What? And so Peter's not ready. So Peter, just, just, just zip it. Don't, you're getting there, but just, just don't, just leave it. Leave it alone, okay? <laughs> this Christ is a suffering Christ. What it means to follow him is we will suffer. Present suffering, future glory. That's what I'd like to address uh, to you today, present suffering. That's what it means to follow Christ, and it means future hope, glory, resurrection life. All right, but first of all, the present. And here comes present suffering. Verses uh, 31 and 32. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. To follow Christ means to walk his Via Dolorosa, present suffering. And Peter didn't get that. And uh, Jesus is very plain about this. Three times, three other times in the book of Mark, he is very plain about his death and resurrection. And in chapter 10, he's very clear. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. But Peter didn't understand this. He was scandalized that this Messiah, this Christ, would stoop and suffer and, and die, and die on a cross. And so Peter took him aside can you believe this guy? <laughs> and began to rebuke him. The word rebuke is a very strong word. It is the same Greek word that when Jesus uh, rebukes the demons, it's used four times in Mark, like, stop, shut up, come out. And, and Peter, Jesus, go, go. <laughs> you got to cut this out, man. Listen, you guys stay over there. Um, you're killing us, man. Nobody wants to follow this is a downer. <laughs> Cut it. He didn't understand. That's why Jesus said, just don't, Peter, just don't tell anyone. You're not ready. I am a, yes, I'm the Christ. Yes, I'm the Messiah. I am a suffering Messiah. Turning seeing his disciples, they're, they're still here. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, 
but on the things of man. And it's the same for us. Jesus' way, his leadership, our followership, it's, this is our path. He's very explicit about this. He says plainly, calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It was a bizarre and gruesome image. Take up your cross. There's nothing like that in Judaism in the history of Israel. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Jewish teachers had talked about the yoke of the Torah, you know, the, the weight and the, the burden and falling. There's nothing like this. So take up your cross. It is death, it is death by torture. It is shameful, it's ridicule. I was trying to think of a modern analogy. What, what would this be like for us? Take up your, I don't know what the equivalent is. Present suffering. That is the way, that is the following, that is what we should expect. Deny yourself, do what I'm doing. Get behind me, that's where you belong, follow me. Present suffering. The catacombs of, catacombs of Rome, we have this line drawing and you saw it and it'll, it'll come back here in a minute. And when we clean it up, it is a picture of someone being crucified and the person being crucified has a donkey's head. And the inscription underneath says, Alexamenos worships his God. <laughs> Some God. Your God was crucified? <laughs> wow, I'm glad I'm not one following you. Alexamenos, don't be an idiot. This is a loser religion. And so my point is, this persecution, take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself, it has been with us uh, since the early days. And Jesus was very plain about this. We have all sorts of verses on this. Uh, if anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution. Jesus said, I've promised you uh, in the age to come houses and lands and father, mother, and sister, and in the present age, persecutions. And he who would follow me must deny himself. Well, our suffering modern America, eastern Pennsylvania, Hope Community Church. It's likely to be much less, you know, severe than that. It's still the same road that we're on, but it's a different culture. It's, it's a different day. We are not Jesus. But what might it look like for us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him? Well, you have to decide. It's going to be different for each person. 
you may have your eye set on that new video game. You're saving money. You really want it. It's expensive. And then you hear about a need, a needy person. And you've got this money. And what would Jesus do? You may have your eye set on promotion at work. It's it's there, it's possible. It's dangling before you. But you know, in order to be promoted, you're going to have to work like crazy. You're going to have to work on Saturdays. You you probably have to work on some Sundays. It's going to take a serious commitment on your part. And you pause and you ask yourself and you come to church and you hear Jesus teaching and you ask yourself, what would it look like in this circumstance to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him? Someone else wants to, really wants to get married. It's, it's an honorable, it's a good thing. You, 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 you have a desire, you want, to, you want to get married. But you are tempted to lower your standards. And Jesus' word comes to us and says, well, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So, we can choose success and power and popularity and money, but Jesus says those are not the primary concerns of disciples. Now, he makes this case, he he, he presents a a, a persuasive case here, his argumentation, that that verse, uh, take up your cross and follow me, is presented, uh, he he gives us four fours, four uh, F-O-R's. So the argument is like because. Take up your cross and follow me because, and when the uh, PowerPoint comes back, I'll show you these four fours. We're We're getting close. So uh, they're in chapter 8, verse 34, take up your cross, verse 35. For whoever, because whoever would save his life will lose it. You you see his reasoning. You're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you'll save it. He's making an argument here. Next one. Next four. For what does it profit a man if he can gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Verse 37, very similar to the previous one. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me, get this one, you guys, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me, because whoever is ashamed of me in this generation, I will be ashamed of him. Wow. There you go. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his angels. Let's go back and pick up Alexamenos. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. 
Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You receive the word in much affliction, Thessalonians. When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it has come to pass, as you yourselves know. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution. No one who has left homes and houses and brothers and sisters and father and will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, along with <laughs> persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Here's his argument, those four fours, whoever would save his life will lose it. What does it profit a man to gain his, the whole world and lose his soul? And then the last one, verse 38, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. So come with me in your imagination. Let's go to the dog track, the dog, dog racing track. I actually have never been to one, but that's in our imaginations. And we enter through the gates and we go into the stadium and we look down on the track and you see along, uh, there's a railing uh, on the inside of the track and there's a little, uh, little mechanical rabbit. And that's what they, they send that thing around, the dogs chase the rabbit. I don't know if they make, if they put like rabbit scent on it to make it smell like, but those dogs will go after that thing. And we're getting a tour of the, um, the facility, and we go here and there, and we go back to the kennels. And you see these dogs, big, powerful greyhounds, half-starved, lean, fast. But there's one over there. This looks very droopy. His head is down, and you walk over, and he doesn't even look up. His eyes kind of look up. And, he's, and, you, and you say to him, what's up, dog? Um, you, are you okay? Are you sick? And the dog just sighs and he says, I'm done. And you say, well, what? what? Are, you, are you too old to run? Or, what do you mean you're done? You look, look like you're in good shape. And the dog says, no, no, no. I still have my strength. I could win a few more races for my master. I, uh, but I'm done. Well, why, why are you done? And he picks up his head and he says to you, listen, listen, I just discovered, they never told me, that rabbit is not a real rabbit. <laughs> I have been chasing that thing. I almost caught it twice. I'm done. And so you chase that rabbit to get that promotion. Promotion, so that's a good thing. That's an honorable thing, but considered in light of Jesus' teaching today. So what if you get the promotion? Okay. Or... Will it harm your soul in some way? Maybe take the same passion 
that you would need to put in your working on Saturdays and maybe on Sundays and just really killing yourself, chasing that rabbit. Maybe take that same passion and maybe, maybe devote it to your children and maybe make your goal to spend those Saturdays and Sundays with them and maybe make it your goal so that the generations from now, their children's children will love and honor our Heavenly Father. You can chase that rabbit. Maybe take your singleness, your desire to get married. It's a good desire. It's a natural desire. But the Lord doesn't taking you that direction. Maybe, maybe take your circumstances and maybe devote your singleness to the gospel and to the work of the gospel and to Christ because you single people can do things that we married people can't. I mean, there's some advantages, you know. Maybe that's what it means to take up your cross and follow him who was single. Maybe you take that money for the video game. And you give it away. Maybe. I don't know. This is your conscience. This is the Holy Spirit in your heart, my heart. Take up your cross. Follow me. Deny yourself. Present suffering. This is the way it is. Present suffering. And so... Jesus laid aside his rights and he took upon himself the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of a man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and took and died a death, the death of the cross and so follow me. Now, let's turn the corner here because there's another teaching in our text What encourages us? What sustains us? What keeps us going in the midst of this this Via Dolorosa? It is the hope of glory. Present suffering, yes, uh, future glory. And now I'm taking this from an, an interesting twist in our text because immediately after this passage, this, you know, this heavy passage of Peter, Peter, shut up. You just don't even talk. You get behind me, Satan, and you must take up your cross. Immediately after this comes, what's next? What's chapter 9? The transfiguration. And I think Mark has skillfully, you know, woven the story together so that the very next thing we see is this vision of Jesus glorified. We call it the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, and a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And so Mark has arranged things, and and he is telling the story, present suffering, yes, future glory. If we follow Jesus on the Via Dolorosa in this path of suffering, take up your cross, follow him all the way because resurrection is coming. He is the first fruits of a coming harvest. 
You and I are the harvest. He's the first part of the harvest. And just as he rose, we will rise also. And so let that sustain you in your own hardships. Keep your eyes focused forward. Present suffering, future, a better day, a future, a glorious day, white clothes, glorified bodies, fellowship. Future uh, glory is coming. And this is what the scripture teaches us. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The story is not over yet. In fact, the story is hardly even beginning. In our current circumstances, the way involves suffering, future glory. So what will this future look like? We don't actually know. The Bible speaks uh, probably symbolically. For example, it says white garments. I don't know if that's literally true. I'm not talking about for Jesus on the mountain. I'm talking about for you and me, you know, in heaven one day. I don't know if we'll actually have white garments, but you get the idea. Clean, uh, priestly garments. The Bible talks about crowns. Is that literally true? I don't know, but we get the idea. Reward. Commendation. The Bible talks about New, new bodies. I don't think that's figurative. No more Alzheimer's. No more synapses that refuse to fire. No more creaking joints. No more meniscuses that need to be replaced and restored. And so hang on to your faith. This is our hope. This is what Jesus offers us as we are in the present suffering. He says, you will be like me in your resurrection. So, who do people say that I am? You are the Christ, correct, but understand, I am a suffering Christ and I'm calling you to follow in my steps. And if you do, and if you follow me all the way, future glory awaits you. Suffering in the present, glory in the future, presently, perseverance. Maintain your hope, maintain your faith, support each other, follow him. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we do ask that you'll help us in this, uh, this pilgrim journey that we're on. Help us, like Jesus, to fix our eyes forward, the hope set before us, who endured the cross, despising its shame, but maintained his confidence in you with the hope of glory. 
We give you our hearts and our minds and our bodies, our time, our resources. We give them all to you, praying for you to use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.